Hello and welcome to Biology of Business. I'm Kate and today we have the absolute pleasure of being joined by Amir. I should have checked how to say your surname, Amir. Rashid. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> and Amir, you are the author of uh, a book called Turn Pressure into Power. I think I've got the title. It's called Cracking the Stress Secret. Cracking the Stress Secret, but it's all about how to turn the pressure of life and your situation and the environment you're in into power. That's right. And right now, as we're continuing to live on year after year after year of pressure, uncertainty, and predictability, and stress, the timing of the publication could not be better. But you have a story in terms of how this even came about. I mean, the 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 the, the conversation you had with your father several years ago was the initiator of this book can you just explain to the listeners a little bit yeah, about absolutely it? actually my, my father's been instrumental in a, a lot of what i did about uh, career paths and so on and if i may i'm going to go back to an earlier story and then work up to this one which is when i was nine years old my dad and i i grew up in iran and my dad and i were traveling into this in these remote villages on the sides of the uh, mountains and one of these villages a woman had gone into labor and she didn't she was in a lot of pain. She was having complications. Well, in this village, there were no doctors and no hospitals. And so there was just a midwife who walked over and examined her and stood up and said, I'm sorry, there's nothing I can do. There's no heartbeat. The baby's not alive and this woman's not going to make it. And at the age of nine, I'm looking into the eyes of this young woman who was just told she's not going to live another few hours. And I started to have this major panic attack where, you know, your heart's pounding, your your chest feels heavy, you're having trouble breathing and, and tears are starting to come down my face. And my father saw me, picked me up, he helped me, he carried me out of there, he calmed me down. The two of us climbed down the mountain, got in our car to drive home. On the drive home, I said to my dad, I don't want to feel like that ever again. And he said, like what? I said, helpless. There's nothing I could do. And uh, he said, well, and this is the greatest question he's ever asked. He said, well, what are you going to do about it? And I, I said, well, I certainly can't do anything about the woman who just died but I can make sure it doesn't happen near me anymore. So what I'll do is I'll go become a doctor. I wanted to be a surgeon. I wanted to be the best surgeon in the whole world, whole world and carry my medical bag with me everywhere I go and just save lives. Uh, so I wouldn't feel helpless and something like that wouldn't happen in front of me. Well, 10 years passed, my father was having a lot of issues with arthritis in his neck. There were um, bone spurs and degenerative changes that were narrowing the spinal canal, pressing on the spinal cord. And it was basically choking the life that flowed from his brain to the rest of his body through his spine and he had lost complete function and use of his arms and hands he couldn't lift his arms he couldn't hold anything and so we had gone from uh doctor to doctor trying to figure out what's wrong with dad and uh, every doctor we went to said this is way too advanced it's beyond my scope you have to go to this other doctor and after a while the three neurosurgeons we consulted with all three said he needs surgery what they wanted to do was cut him open in the back of the neck break and remove the bones in the back of the spine and take pressure off the spinal cord and then place rods and screws on the sides to fuse his whole neck. They said, you'll never turn your head again. You may not regain function of your hands, but we're hoping you have less pain, but there's a chance you're going to die because this is a pretty invasive surgery. Now, dad was 70 years old at the time. And, and at 70, uh, you, you know, as well as I do, there's different ages that, that can be 70. There's a young 70 and an old 70. You know, you know, and everything in between. Well, he wasn't the young 70. He was an old 70 and he hadn't been taking care of himself. So it was a risky surgery. We got in a taxi and I don't know if the audience knows what a taxi is, but, you, you know, they're, they're being replaced with all kinds of other things. Um, but 
uh, we got in a taxi uh, to 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 drive home to go home from the final neurosurgery appointment, and our plan was to go get his affairs in order so he could go have the surgery the following week. And on the drive uh, back, this taxi driver looked at my dad and I, and I I remember seeing my dad in his you know white neck brace, and he's just cringing because every bump that that car hit was sending this lightning bolt of pain through his body, and I could tell looking in his eyes, he didn't want to live anymore. Mm. And emotionally, I got transported back to that village where I saw the woman slowly pass away in her husband's arms. And I'm feeling the same emotions, her chest feeling tight, my heart's pounding, tears are welling up in my eyes, and I'm having trouble catching my breath. And I I just, I don't want dad to suffer that bad. Well, this taxi driver looked at us in his rear rear mirror, and he said, sir, I know you're in a lot of pain, and I know you asked me to take you home. But there's this chiropractor right down the street. Would you rather me take you there? And, you know, I was a 19-year-old know-it-all. So I said, no, we need to go get ready for surgery. But dad was terrified of that surgery. And so he said, whatever we need to do, let's try it. We showed up to this chiropractor's office. Long story short, the, the doctor said, you need to see me six days a week for the next six months. And if you do everything I tell you, I believe I can help you. And dad said, I'll do whatever you say. So he literally was went there and someone had to drive him and he had to borrow the money to pay for it, but he did it. And at the end of six months, he had full use of his hands back. He could turn his head fully. He was able to do everything he wanted to do and never had the surgery. He lived to be 88 years old. He passed away in 2011. At 88, he was younger than when he was 70 because he would wake up, work out, exercise, go visit his friends, who his friends are all in nursing homes but not my father. He's able to take care of himself, drive himself, do all the things he loves doing. Dad lived long enough to stand next to me as my best man when I got married. And he lived long enough to meet my first son when he was born. So coming back to recent times, there was a period of time where I was working extra hard and I wanted to open extra offices. I wanted to expand. I want to help more people because the idea is and I, I want uh, your audience to understand this because I know you do. Uh, you, you're in the field. You're, you're in the business. You get this better than anybody else. But the audience needs to know that when my dad was sick, when he was hurting and suffering, actually, he wasn't the only one who suffered because his son suffered and his wife suffered and anyone who cared about him suffered. And so if you are c- contemplating going through something uh, and and you're wondering whether you should do the hard thing, which is be healthy, because that takes time, that takes work, that takes effort, that takes money, that takes resources. That's the hard way to do it. The easy thing to do is let yourself slide, let your health fall apart, and get sick. But always remember, you're hurting not just you, you're hurting everybody who cares about you, like your family members, because you don't want to be a burden on them. When you suffer, others suffer. When you hurt, they hurt with you. Just like when my children get sick, I always think, I wish I could take that from him. I wish I I wish I could take that disease. I don't want him to suffer. It's the same exact thing. Don't let yourself suffer. Do the hard stuff. And so I always focused on that. There's two things you're I'm picking up on here though. One is you're describing at 70, your dad was an old 70. So I often think that if you haven't looked after yourself in your 40s and 50s, you're going to pay the prices. And it's a lot harder in your 60s and 70s to reclaim the health that you've lost in the habits it, largely but you don't to do that you found the motivation to do that or this oh yeah oh, absolutely and, and somehow your university form i'm guessing you haven't quite applied to medical school so you still had time on the back of this to apply to be a chiropractor 
Yeah, and and that that's a whole long story in itself, which um, which I won't bore you with on that. Um, but what it boils down to is my philosophy is if, if I can plug the hole, less people fall through that hole, you know, and, and so our goal is to reduce the need for drugs and surgery in as many people as possible to prevent that. Because right now, you know, and, and you're not in the United States, but the United States is less than 5% of the world's population, but we consume over 50% of the production of pharmaceuticals in this country alone. And, and I don't know what the stats are in the UK or, or anywhere else, but I'm pretty sure the Western world overutilizes drugs and surgery. And the outcomes aren't all that great because we're not the healthiest countries in the world. Yeah. Uh, so so uh, when it comes to stress, which a lot of people blame it on stress, I know a lot of my patients always say, you know, if I, if I wasn't so stressed, I wouldn't be so sick. If I wasn't so stressed, I wouldn't hurt so bad. And I go, trust me, it's not the stress. It's you. It's your tolerance and ability, your capacity to handle that stress. We call it the general adaptation potential. It, it's your potential to adapt to stress. That gap, G-A-P, can be wide or it can be narrow. If it's narrow, a little bit of stress will make you sick. If it's wide, a lot of stress can appear in your life and it won't cause injury and illness. And the story behind the book, which is what your original question was, is that when I was working on expanding our business, there were times where I'd work through the night and I worked really hard. I'd see patients all day and work through the night to try to expand and grow and set up the systems and procedures and protocols. And, you know, there's build outs and things like that. And uh, my father one day said, why are you working so hard? Aren't you afraid it'll affect your health? And I said, health is worthless if it comes at the expense of my goals, my dreams, my future. I'm not going to sacrifice that for being healthy. But trust me, I won't sacrifice my health for my success either. And, and I want both. And everybody listening to this should want both. It's possible. Don't sacrifice your health just to be successful. But don't sacrifice your success to stay healthy. Because if you're healthy, but you haven't contributed to this world, and you haven't made the world a better place, and you haven't given to the people you love and care about and the situations and organizations that are doing good, you haven't supported them and contributed to them, well, then being healthy is just someone who's healthy. What use is that? You have to have both. And let's talk about that. Let's talk about how to get everybody to understand how to be healthy and successful at the same time. Mm. So go on then. How do you turn the pressure into power? Mm. Well, you know, that the, we all know these people who are extremely successful, right? <clears throat> that first off, they, they get more done in one day than we could do in a, in a month. We go, how do you get so much done? And they're, they're, they're happy and they're healthy. And like these people can, can eat a lot of food too. And they don't, they barely gain weight. I mean, they're, they're just, they're just seem like they've got it all together and you may want to wring their neck because it, because, because it's frustrating because Someone else might pull one all nighter and the next day they have a sinus infection. And why is that? Well, you, when you study the ultra healthy and the ultra wealthy, so who have both, these people have a different relationship. First off, they have a different definition of stress and they have a different relationship with stress. And thirdly, they never ever focus on reducing stress. And so if we learn this from these people and apply that to our world, I think we can be just like them. And so let's talk about those three things. Number one is they have a different definition of stress. Well, most of most people go, oh, stress is a terrible thing. 
You know, oh, I'm so stressed out. Why? Because I had an argument with my spouse or my kids are driving me crazy or um, I can't pay my bills. I have financial problems. Those are the big ones, right? It's it's health, relationships, and finances. Those are the three biggest things people complain about. Now, you go, okay, um, but a lot of people have those stresses. So, so is that truly the definition of stress? Mm-hmm. What is stress? The truth is stress is a force that causes change in your life. That's all it is. It's a force. Now, let me give you some examples. Gravity is a force. Would you say gravity is a bad thing or a good thing? It's neither because because of gravity, you might fall and get injured. But gravity is also what keeps your feet on the ground so you don't float out into outer space and you can drive your car and build a house and all of that can be done because we have gravity. So you'd never say gravity is a bad thing. You're not going to say it's a good thing either. It's neutral. Fire, it can burn your hand or it can cook your food it's forces that we've learned to just live with yeah and to live like the weather the absolutely you've just learned to live with it and you you don't even (laughs) consider it it just is what it is another good example and and also money um money is not evil and money is not good money is neutral so some people will use money to fund terrorist activity and it's evil. Some people will use money to put their children through college and university and, and, and go for higher education or to feed the family. You can't say money is good or bad. It's how you use it. And, and believe it or not, anger sometimes can be that too. Anger is a force. That It's a force. It's an emotion that causes motion, right? So some people will get angry and they commit a crime. They'll do a hate crime. But some people get angry and it becomes righteous anger where they say, I'm not putting up with this anymore. Like in our country, it was Martin Luther King who out of his anger came the I have a dream speech which changed the world and and put an end to the discrimination that we were we were performing. Um, so so anger can be a force and we can use it for good. Now, stress is all of those things and more stress is when you go to the gym and lift weights. Now, would you tell anyone every time you go to the gym, I want you to lift less weight than the day before, because I don't want you to get stronger. I want you to get weaker. That's why you go to the gym to get weaker. It's ridiculous, right? You have to constantly stress your body. When you stress your joints and your muscles, you get bigger and you get stronger. That's a fact. That's called adaptation. Stress is good for us. If we focus on reducing stress, what we become is less adaptive to stress. We get weaker and weaker. The person who can't handle a lot of stress is the person who will reach for the remote control on the back of the couch and tear a biceps tendon. That's the person who bends down to pick up a coin off uh, off of the sidewalk and they blow out their back. You go, I just bent down to pick up a coin. It's not even heavy. And my back went out. See, you are susceptible to injury because you haven't been building your tolerance to stress. It goes back to that gap, general adaptation potential. Our focus should be increase the gap so we can tolerate the stress. And you can't do it immediately. You have to do it little by little. That's why the ultra healthy and the ultra wealthy never, ever try to reduce stress because they know the minute they reduce their stress, their body adapts to less stress. And now they can't handle what they did before. It's like when you're in school, right? You're in first grade. Uh, spelling little three-letter words like cat, bat, and rat are difficult. But then you go to 12th grade or you go to university and it's a whole different story. Now spelling three-letter words is easy for you. You need to get to a point where the current stress in your life is easy for you. And then you go to the next level. So you're making me think of the phrase, um, and I'm probably going to slightly misquote it, don't ask for 
life to be easier, ask yourself to be better. Um, and there's also that that phrase, isn't there, where uh, tough times make strong men and uh, good times make weak men. And what you're making me wonder is if at the moment we're actually at that crossover because we have been able to be very comfortable. So perhaps we have weakened in terms of our tolerance and yeah. now things have been tough and they're continuing to be tough and probably getting tougher. And we have to play catch up in terms of regaining our resilience, our, our strength, right. our, our potential perhaps oh yeah absolutely it, it, it's very true we um I, th I think we we live in an abundant world that 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 provides for us in every way most most people who have internet and have access to your podcast probably don't worry about what their next meal is going to be mm -hmm. um or or you know i grew up in iran during the revolution uh, uh, where there was tremendous fighting in the streets and uh, the, the whole government was overthrown and a whole new government came in and, and people had to change the way they dress and the way they talk and freedom of speech was taken away and, and uh, everybody's terrified for their life. And then the war started where Saddam Hussein started bombing Iran. And, and there were times where uh, you could hear the whistle of the bomb that, you know, there were there were air raid sirens and we all had to go hide in a basement or find a bomb shelter and hide. And we could hear the whistle of that bomb just coming at us. And the whistle is so high pitched, you can't tell where it is, but it gets louder and louder as that bomb's getting closer and closer. And eventually you hear the explosion. You realize, oh, OK, I'm alive, but someone just died. And that kind of anxiety and stress, you know, um, we don't deal with that here in our countries right now. But I know people in uh you know, uh, Israel went through tremendous things, um, you know, and and some of the um, uh, other countries, you know, there's there's a lot of war right now between Israel, and Hamas, there's Ukraine war. There's 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 things going on that we're not even aware of that we don't see. Um, but uh, our countries don't deal with those. So, yeah, I think we're, we, we live in a place and time where we don't have to be stronger. And so we just kind of adapt to an easier life. And I think we need to challenge ourselves. I think we need to step up and say, okay, I'm going to increase my stress by 10%. And when I adapt to that, I'm going to increase it by a little bit more and, uh, and constantly try to grow and expand. Now, I know not everybody has the same ambitions. You know, somebody wants to change the world and somebody just wants to provide for their family. Either one is stressful. And I, I think the stress is equal because of how we perceive it and how we go about it. But stress can change. So, so, for example, you know, there's there there was a big big recession uh, back in 2008, and then there there was a collapse of some banks and so on. And a lot of people lost a lot of money and got stressed. But I know some businesses who, based on the stress they were under, they innovated, they changed their procedures and protocols, and they adapted to a new new economy and a new marketplace, and they thrived and they succeeded. But then there were others who closed their doors and walked away from their dreams because of the same same financial stress they were both under but one thrive one fail we have to be the one that pushes through and thrives this is not what i was expecting to talk about at all so where i grew up in the uk is next to a very large airfield and i would hear it's an american airbase and i would hear the b-52s those bomber planes leaving all the time we just mm. hear just part of our background noise and i hate it i hate it when you hear them again absolutely hate it it gives me the creeps and it's very interesting that here we are having this conversation 
um, which I hadn't thought about at all when we arranged it, that I'm hearing the planes leaving. You're mm. hearing the consequences of those planes. Hmm. Yeah. So, so you know, we uh, the the questions probably being asked is how do how do I then increase my resilience to stress? How do I become the kind of person who can take the hits and still keep moving forward? Who can carry that burden, not have it knock me down? So I can take on the challenges that I want and succeed every single time. Because anything you want that's good comes with stress. If you want to have more children, believe it or not, that comes with more stress. I mean, uh, you know, I had one child and, and that was stressful. And I go, I don't know how I could ever have two. But then now I have three and I go, okay, two was easy. <laughs> but we're done. <laughs> we, have, we have three boys and literally it sounds like a herd of elephants got released in the house every time they come home from school. I mean, there's, uh, they're, they're loud. They're, you know, they, they like the rough house. But anyway, so what do we do? How do we increase our, our stress? First off, when, once you've adapted those three things where you have a different definition of stress now, now stress is not good and it's not bad, it's neutral, and that your relationship with stress is that I can use it to strengthen me. And based on that, I'm never going to focus on reducing my stress. I'm just going to focus on becoming stronger so the stress seems easy, so it becomes light and comfortable. And once you have those three things, now we need to go to the next part. The next part is you have to understand that stress comes at you in three dimensions, just like health. Health has three dimensions to it. Now, some people say four, and I lump two of them together. Um, whether you say four or three, these are my three, which is psycho-emotional is one stress. Some people say there's a spiritual component to that. Some people say your spiritual stress is different, but we're only speaking physiologically. So psycho-emotional is one dimension. Second dimension is physical. The third dimension is biochemical. So you have to address all three of those dimensions to be healthy. See, people go, I want wellness, but then just like stress, they don't have a definition for wellness. What is wellness? Well, I'll tell you, wellness is the degree to which health and vitality are experienced in those three dimensions. That's wellness. Wellness is how much of health and vitality you experience. So by that definition, is there a destination to that? There isn't. It's a direction. It's like, how far can you go west? You can keep going west forever. You can keep going east forever. Um, and, and so wellness, you can go towards it forever and you can go towards illness forever. Eventually one ends in death. The other one, there's no destination. So your focus should be, how do I constantly move toward wellness and away from illness? And if that's the case, you have to address all three dimensions. I have people in my gym. So I go to this gym and I work out. I've been going to this gym, I don't know, 10, 15 years. And there are these ladies who sit, there are men too who do this. Uh, but, but there's this one group of ladies, they sit on the exercise equipment uh, in front of the TVs. And they're doing the same exercise every time I go in there. And they, they get on it for, I don't know, 30, 45 minutes to an hour. And they're pedaling or they're moving and they're sweating and their bodies haven't changed in 10 years. They look exactly the same. And, and I go, well, if you're working so hard, shouldn't you start to look fit? And shouldn't you start to grow some muscle and burn some fat? I mean, you literally look the same. And I haven't talked to them about this, but I know why. It's because they're not approaching it three-dimensionally. The physical dimension is exercise. But what about the biochemical dimension? What are they putting in their body? What are they not putting in their body? What about the psycho-emotional dimension? So your mind and body have to be connected when you exercise. If they're watching TV while they're pedaling, where's their mind? Mm -hmm. On what's on the screen? They're okay. not connected. So from a psycho-emotional standpoint, so what do I do? I, if, I, if I get on one of those pieces of equipment, like a treadmill, and I, let's say I'm jogging, my mind is 
Every step is making me stronger. Every step is making me healthier. I'm burning fat. I'm building muscle. I'm growing. I'm expanding. And why am I doing this? Because I'm going to be a better dad and a better husband. I'm going to be a better businessman and a better doctor. And this is why I'm going. Because I'm not going to get tired at the end of the day. I'm building energy. I'm building um, determination. I'm, I'm overcoming my mental limits by pushing through. So I'm constantly, literally, sometimes you'll hear me talking to myself when I'm running on a treadmill. And if you run next to me, it'll drive you crazy. Because why is this guy whispering while he's running on the treadmill? I need to talk to myself to keep my mind engaged with my body. And then you'll get results. But then afterwards, what are you eating? Because we talked about the three dimensions, right? Imagine those are each a coin. Every coin has two sides to it. So you go to the physical dimension. One side of that coin is exercise. What's the flip side? Rest. So you exercise, but you don't rest. You're not going to get the results. You have to balance the two. And the side of the, the coin that says biochemical, right? One side of it is nutrition. Are you feeding your body with proper nutrients and micronutrients and vitamins and minerals and the things that are essential for the body to function properly? What's the other side of the coin? Toxins. You have to eliminate toxicity. What if you're eating really well, but you're also putting toxins in your body? There's so many cosmetics people use that are toxic. Um, on my podcast, uh, we talk about this on a regular basis because what we do is we take uh, articles, the latest articles in the headline news, and we discuss them. We, we summarize them. We, uh, we tell you what they mean and how you can apply them to your life. And, um, and one of the uh, articles we talked about was the recent increase in toxicity in cosmetics, especially cosmetics that are imported from the Middle East. A lot of Middle Eastern things like lipstick and, and facial things are very, very eye shadows, things like that are very popular, but they have a lot of toxins in them. And we have to be careful with that. So there's a website called uh, ewg.org. Every product you're going to put on your skin or in your mouth or, or in your hair, you need to run through this uh, website and look for the toxins that are in it, ewg environmentalworkinggroup.org and they take every product pretty much every single product known to man is on this website and they'll tell you what's toxic about it and uh and so you need to find something that's not toxic for you but anyways those are the two sides of the coin for biochemical and then you go to the psycho-emotional side of things right one side of that is hey i need to feed my body with positivity i should i should you know watch this podcast a whole lot more you know because this is this is great information i need to fill my mind with this positive things and information and, and motivation and inspiration. What's the other side of the coin? Well, it's negativity, right? So who are you hanging around with? Do you have, do you have friends in your life that bring you down? How do you feel when you talk to them? How do you feel when you watch the news? When should you watch the news? I'm not telling you not to watch the news. Never. I watch the news. Never. <laughs> Never. People stay saying. You know, unfortunately, we're glued to the to the television now, watching everything, and 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 then we go on podcasts and and look for news reports and get different perspectives. And there's a lot of censoring going on, and so on, and that's stressing people out. Well, here's the thing: cortisol levels are highest in the morning. Cortisol is your stress hormone. Cortisol is what wakes you up. If you ever wake up without an alarm clock, it's because your cortisol levels got to a point where your body goes, "Okay, I've slept enough." Cortisol should be high in the morning and low at night. And if it's high at night, you can't sleep properly. And we can talk about sleep in a little bit. But um, if your cortisol level is already high in the morning, watch the news in the morning. Because if you get stressed out, your cortisol, cortisol levels can't go any higher. It's already high. But if you watch the news at night before you go to bed, now you get a spike in cortisol and, and your body goes into fight or flight and you can't sleep properly. So 
So if you're someone who has trouble falling asleep, it's a cortisol issue. If you have trouble staying asleep, it's a blood sugar issue. Because like, let's say some people, there are a lot of people go to bed, they sleep, they fall asleep immediately. And then they wake up two hours later and then they can't go back to sleep. And their body's like, I already slept. That's a blood sugar issue. Your blood sugar fluctuates. You're the kind of person who probably gets a lot of sugar cravings. And when it comes to, I know I'm just rattling on and on, but there's a lot of stuff. Stop me. It's, it's well, no, what I wanted to bring up now, well, well, a couple of things I wanted to bring up. One was the, um, when you t- were talking about talking to yourself on the treadmill, in terms of the stress that we place on our body and that we proactively are stressing our body when we exercise and that it is to be conscious. And I just wanted to um, share, it was quite funny. I recently joined a new swimming club and every coach has their own language and I didn't understand the new coach's language. <laughs> And do you know how glad I was that I could just be a follower, just slot into that middle of the lane and just copy the people in front of me because I was overloaded just dealing with the new club, the new environment, the new people in my lane without the information overload of having to translate what the you know coach actually wanted us to, to do. Oh, yeah. Acronyms on the board. Um, so that just amused me when you were saying about that on the on the on the treadmill that sometimes when one system is so stressed, the other system or stressed, not stressed in the swimming pool, but overloaded or full. Right. You, you consumed your capacity for um, the other systems to be able to do as much. But again, they'll get fitter. You know, over I mean, about six weeks ago, I joined this new club. Yeah. And by now I can read his acronyms on the board. I do understand his language. I do. Right. So there, so there was some psychoemotional stress you had to overcome first, so that then you can start getting the physical benefits of the exercise. Yeah, yeah, I guess yeah, because I'm there doing the legs, but I'm not entirely understanding exactly the uh, short. <laughs> the board. Um, but the other other part of this is you are so um, confidently talking about the whole person. And many, many practitioners won't in terms of somebody's going to come to see them with their neck pain, like your dad, or with their knee pain, their back pain, whatever. And they are dealing just with that. And they're undervaluing the impact they can have on that whole person's life. For example, that chiropractor that transformed your dad's 18 years of quality of life he had thereafter in over a six-month period. They're too shy. They're holding back saying, I'll just see you two, three, four sessions. We'll just talk about this. And they're not valuing the benefits they can have and the transformation they can have on that person's life and therefore on their family's life. What's given you this confidence that, hang on, I am going to have some of these difficult conversations with patients, people, patients, I don't like the word patients, but you are going to, I am going to ask you about what's troubling you in your world and we are going to commit to taking this further. Well, because I have have a long-term vision for every patient that comes to me. So, so, so phase one is feel better. Let's just get you feeling better. Phase two, you need to be stronger. So how, by strength, I don't mean be able to pick up more weight, but I mean be stronger in respect to stress. Because I firmly believe, and this is a, I, this is a fact, how healthy you are is determined by how much stress you can safely handle. That's a fact. How healthy you are is determined by how much stress you can safely handle. Someone who can't handle a lot of stress, the wind blows, they get sick, they catch a cold. Someone who can handle a lot of stress, they, they walk out in the cold, they come back, nothing, nothing's wrong. So that's number. That's only phase two is get stronger. Phase three is longevity. How do we add years to your life? 
we need to constantly be working on adding years to our life because nothing stays still. It's either improving or decaying. There's, there's no in between. So we do things that add years to our life. And then the last phase is how to always feel younger than your age. So it has to go through those four stages. Those are my those are my vision. That's my vision for my patients. And those who want to see it through to the fourth stage are the ones who stick around. Those are the ones I can have that conversation with. But if a patient comes to me and says, Doc, I just want phase one. I just want to feel better. And that's it. Great. Well, you have two options. We can uh, do chiropractic on you or you can go get a drug and mask your pain. Um, you'll feel better. So, and they, and they go, well, no, I'd rather do it the natural way. Great. We get them feeling better. They're gone. Guess what? They're back later because the problem came back because we didn't make permanent changes. So unless you get stronger, you can't prevent future illnesses and injuries and then longevity and how to always feel younger, how to be youthful. So in phase two, phase three and phase four, presumably you're addressing a lot of their habits. 100%. And, and you know, one of the tests we do on our patients in the latter stages is heart rate variability because heart rate variability is a direct measure. The algorithm that we use, the mathematical formulas that we use, tell you exactly uh, how much stress you can safely handle. And they also will tell you whether your body at rest is in fight or flight or if it's exhausted because there needs to be a balance there. And the stages of stress, if I were to simplify it to the easiest way to understand is there's three stages of long-term stress. Initially, you're wired. Something happens, something comes at you, you're straight, you're wired. That's like when those bombs are falling, I'm wired. Pupils are dilated, breath rate is higher, heart rate is higher, cholesterol goes up, right? Um, uh, hands and feet get cold, dry eyes, dry mouth, dry skin, digestion stops, immune system stops. So that's the first stage is you're wired. But then if, if you stay under long-term stress, so that bombs are falling on you every single night, now you become what's called wired and tired. That's the person who says, I'm too tired to fall asleep. They're tired, but they can't fall asleep. They're, they're, the same thoughts are circulating in their brain. That's the same as their body thinking they're being chased by a pack of hungry wolves or there's bombs that can fall on you any minute now. Wired and tired is the second stage. The third stage is just tired. That's the person who's exhausted. That's the person whose adrenal glands aren't producing adrenaline anymore. They're exhausted. So there's food cravings that, that go with each of these stages. Stage one, when you're wired, all you want is sugar. So if someone puts a bowl of candy in front of you, you can't stop after one. You're going to eat the whole thing. That's the person who also wakes up in the middle of the night, can't fall asleep again because they have a lot of sugar cravings. Second stage, you now because the body is now depleted because cortisol goes up and precursor to cortisol is cholesterol. Cholesterol is actually the precursor to cortisol, estrogen, testosterone, progesterone, growth hormone, um, vitamin D, all these things require cholesterol to be high. So if you, you, you need those hormones to be higher, your body produces more cholesterol. So now your cravings change. They go from pure sugar to sugar and fat because now instead of just candy, you want the candy, but you also want donuts and ice cream because they have fat and sugar in one and your cravings change. And then if you stay in that long-term, two, three, four years, you're, you burn out your adrenal glands, you're exhausted. Now your cravings are you know, pretzels and potato chips because they're salty. So you still want the ice cream and the donuts, but you also crave salty things. That, that means your adrenal glands are exhausted. That's the person who can drink coffee at night with dinner and still fall asleep. That's the person who falls asleep in a movie, even though it's a great movie and they love the movie, it's action-packed, you still fall asleep. That's an exhausted person. I won't tell you how often I fall asleep in a movie. <laughs> 
<laughs> I didn't think I was exhausted by falling asleep in them a lot. <laughs> I think it's like the fire and sit still and the um yeah I mean there, there, there's more to it obviously there's personality <laughs> issues and so on of course um and so when clients come in on their intake do they have an opportunity to start do you invite on that very first consultation this conversation about their whole self rather than just about their back pain or neck pain or whatever the trigger was to bring them to you yeah, absolutely. On, on a philosophical level, I believe the human body is self-healing and self-regulating. So that's what we teach everybody is, is you not to within limits, right? If you, if someone cuts off my arm, I won't grow another arm. And please don't take me to the chiropractor. Take me to a surgeon because I want that arm reattached. So there's limits to it. But within limits, the body is self-healing, self-regulating. So if I cut my hand, it'll heal. Even if I need stitches, the, the skin grows together and repairs itself. To your body. And if I need a hormone or an enzyme, my body will produce it. The reason we have opioid receptors in our body isn't because our creator knew that someday there's going to be opioids that are going to be on the market. It's because your body can produce opioids. When you exercise, you release endorphins, which is morphine. You reduce encephalins. So those are those hit your opioid receptors and you feel good. There's dopamine and dopamine receptors, serotonin, serotonin receptors. So all that stuff, we don't need drugs for those. We can produce all of those. That's what's beautiful about the human body. So that's what I teach them on day one because they're not ready for the stress co conversation yet, but they're hurting. So they need to know their body knows how to heal itself. And so that's that's one. Now, what controls all those processes is the nervous system because your brain has to tell your uh, liver to produce cholesterol. It has to tell your body to produce an enzyme or a hormone. And, and it's in constant communication. It's a two-way communication. So the brain has to communicate with the rest of the body through your spinal cord and all the nerves that come out of your spine. And so if there is interference in your nervous system through the spine, the job of the chiropractor initially is to find those areas of disturbance, remove them to restore function to the body, and then your body can start to heal. And so that's my job. And that's where we start. That's the conversation. And the way we measure if there's nerve interference, if we do electromyograms and thermal scans to see how blood flow is, we look at the range of motion, we take x-rays, do a detailed digital x-ray analysis to see how every bone is lined up. And if it's not lined up, and it correlates with the nerve scan that we just did on the computer it says that same nerve has pressure on it and the reason is because the x-ray shows there's a misalignment at that level then we create a plan hey this bone needs to rotate four millimeters left and two degrees uh, up and and then we the adjustment that we deliver is very very precise to that bone for that purpose and then we do post x-rays to see if we put it where it's supposed to be and if it's holding that's when we know you're better because you'll feel better very quickly but to make permanent alignment changes to the spine, that's like putting braces on your teeth. That doesn't happen overnight. That takes time. Your first adjustment might take away your symptoms instantly. That happens quite often. But we continue to see you to make sure we align the spine, correct the spine properly to prevent future issues. That's the conversation on day one. After that, you know, once once we do, we've done those post x-rays and we see that we made the changes they need, now we go, okay, your next phase is strength. Let's just focus on becoming stronger. And that's not just physical strength. It's mental, emotional, chemical stress, uh, strength. And strengthen in those areas, become more resilient, resilient with stress. We'll measure that by doing heart rate variability tests. So every four months, they get a heart rate variability test. Every two years, they get new x-rays. And once we feel like their strength is at a level where their heart rate variability says they can tolerate the stress in their life, then we focus on longevity. And then we focus on youthfulness and feeling younger. No, my firm belief is that this restoration of function element 
is something we massively um, underestimate and again undervalue in terms of if we're truly to help people restore to feeling vital to being able to experience the full joy of life we're woefully as a, as a general rule underserving those that come to us because we're patching them up and off you go and it's not a solution that's going to give them their 80 year old self or their 90 year old self even yeah i mean unfortunately we're we're raised that way we're taught that you have to put something in your body to get healthy you know you know as children parents tell them take this you'll feel better and then they're in the playground or at school and the drug dealer comes up to them and says, take, take this, you'll feel better. They go, oh, my mother says the same thing. And they, they get hooked on drugs. So we have to understand that health comes from the inside out. It's not an outside in. It's what's on the inside that makes you healthy and whole, not what you put into it. It's not about what you rip out of your body, like the organs that we remove through surgeries. And it's not about what we throw in our body, like chemicals and pharmaceuticals it's what's already there and we have to shift that mentality we need to teach our children that and what you're describing is basically there's one disease in that that one disease is the return to being healthy your body is trying to return to Correct. a well state to a healthy state and yep, uh, and we don't have i mean it's an industry all these many many disease labels it's an industry there's an industry behind every single one of them and that triggers an awful lot of negative reaction because so many professionals that might be listening to this will be tied to a disease model rather than the concept that our body is naturally healing and is always striving to get back to healing. And in many ways, we've just got to get out of its way. Everybody should rewind and listen to what you just said over and over and over. Yeah. The other part of it, which is quite interesting in terms of how it's handled in that that um, the society, so not the not the professionals, but also the, I'm trying to think of it, I don't know, the MS society, the ME society, the Parkinson's, all these societies that are also constructed around every single disease. And they don't, well, I feel they don't help this i'm gonna get negative anyway but they don't help this concept of being able to return to healing because again there's a vested interest in staying in a disease state i agree i agree there is a huge vested interest and not only that they label people and people make that label their identity and they say i am a fibromyalgia person as opposed to hey i uh, I'm temporarily battling with fibromyalgia, but I'm going to overcome it. We, we're not taught that. And also it's financially uh, more beneficial to the pharmaceutical company to have people stay on medication long-term than to take one pill, be cured and not need it anymore. Yeah. And something that I'm sure you're aware of in terms of the relationship between physios and chiros is that physios will sit in judgment. I don't actually know what the chiropractor's judgment of physios, but physios will certainly sit in judgment of chiros in terms of the number of sessions that you might see people being way more than a physio might. But missing the big picture again of what you came back to at the very beginning, our role is to reduce the unnecessary surgeries, the unnecessary yeah. medications and help people restore their vitality. And does it actually matter if you see somebody two times or 20 times, if you get to, them that, to that point, the cost of the difference between two and 20 sessions is nothing compared to the cost of staying in a diseased state for the rest of their life. 
hundred percent. I agree. And, and, and I'll tell you uh, the chiropractor's uh, perspective on physiotherapy is that they're essential and necessary. And so there's plenty of times where I refer my patients to a physical therapist or a physiotherapist because I want their shoulder rehabbed properly. That's not my area of expertise. I want the, the, the mechanics and the firing patterns of their gait to be corrected. I may know a little bit about that, but I'm not trained in that. I want the expert to take my patient through that. So I go, hey, I'm going to correct what's going on in your back, but you're still not walking right. You've got to go learn how to walk properly, which means there's certain sequence of pattern of muscle firing that has to happen around your hips, your thighs, your hams, your calves that aren't happening properly. And, and, and the physiotherapist is the one that can teach you those things. They can correct those things. It's almost like surgery. No one will have surgery. Uh, no one will have surgery and not follow through with physiotherapy afterwards. They have to do the rehab to bring their body back to where it should be. Surgery alone is not enough. But the same thing, let's say I align your spine, but now I want muscle patterns around your spine to become stronger so they can support that new alignment that I just created in your spine. Now you should go to the physiotherapist. Now you should go there and train and learn and grow. And, and I, I, I wish, I think if this was communicated um, properly, I think our professions could work so well together and, and have amazing results. Mm, super. So the conclusion of your work that uh, is now published and out and available, what does your book conclude, Amir? The, the conclusion is there's a list of 10 things you need to do, 10 steps you have to follow from making sure you get enough sunlight to enough sleep, to enough nutrition, to uh, how to use music properly, how do you sleep properly, um, types of exercise you should be doing. And then social interaction is, is a powerful one. You need to spend time with like-minded people who are healthy, who uh, can inspire you and motivate you. And I think we can then eventually start a movement of... Um, quote-unquote uh, rebels uh, who, who, who go against the grain, who swim upstream, who, who create a new standard for others to follow. And then little by little, hopefully we can change the world and, and not let stress be such a negative thing, but let it be the fuel that propels us toward growth, expansion, success, happiness. Well, as my son told me the other day, the rebels in Star Wars are the good guys. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> If the listeners would like to hear more from you or read your book, how can they do that? Well, uh, the, the book is on Amazon. It's called Cracking the Stress Secret, How to Turn Pressure into Power. Um, certainly, you're welcome to download our podcast and listen to it. It's called Real Health with Brandy and Amir. Brandy's my wife. Um, and, uh, and that you can find everywhere. Uh, just search for my name and the words Real Health. Um, our YouTube channel is called Real Chiropractic. The podcast can be found on that as well. So those are ways you can stay connected. If you go to midatlanticclinic.com, uh, you can um, send questions to my office about clinical stuff. You can also visit my personal website, which is drrashidian.com. So uh, all of those, I believe, will be uh, linked for you. And um, I look forward to hearing from you. Wonderful. Thank you very much for taking time out of your day to join me, Amir. It is my pleasure, Kate. Thank you so much.